the biggest piece of information missing on 90% of first-time orders is going to be the barrel's cylinder length. Welcome to the Shoot to Hunt podcast. I'm Ryan Avery, here with always with Jake Mushaney from Unknown Munitions. You always say Mew. Mew? It's just Mushaney. No, I like Mew. It's just Mew. There's a Mew. It's Mew Shaney. <laughs> That's how I remember it. I'm not going to mess up our guest's name. Okay. We have Josh Deards from McMillan Stocks. Thanks for coming on the show, Josh. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Nice. Josh, can you give us, uh, we have, like I said before, we have a really broad general audience and we're kind of trying to preach to the masses. Can you kind of tell us the origin story of McMillan stocks? Oh boy. Well, uh, back 73, you know, Gail McMillan started out putting together, you know, fiberglass bench rest stocks and, uh, doing a little bit of farting around back in his, uh, in his day in his garage and really perfected what we think of today as a competition stock. Uh, slowly over the years that grew Kelly, uh, Kelly McMillan took over from his father's position and, and uh, has since been sold to the extreme group with Bob Beck. Uh, really that's that the general that's, that's the go, man. That's how we've, kind of developed just over the years, one thing after another trial and error. That's in 1973. They started with a, was it not a bench rest stock or it was for competition was. shooting, right? Yeah. Competition bench rest style stocks, you know, flat face, flat bottoms, flat rears. Uh, don't touch the stock kind of thing, you know, hover uh, over, pull it. And that come was, was Kelly's was, I guess his father, he was in the competition scene. Yeah, he was definitely a bench rest shooter, and his uh, his brother did a lot of uh, a lot of bench rest shooting, held some world records, and they they developed themselves as a really big name in the uh, firearms industry, and eventually even getting into the firearms side of things, building uh, G McMillan Company and McMillan Firearms, uh, most probably most noted for you know having Chris Kyle's three thirty eight. Oh, yes. I remember that. I think I saw that at the shot show. Yeah, pretty famous, uh, pretty famous rifle with a pretty famous guy, of course. You guys build rifles yeah, anymore? We do not. No, I sold the uh, rifle division of the company about 10 years ago to Strategic Armory Corporation. Gotcha. Uh, they own Armalite, uh, McMillan Firearms now, and uh, some other subsidiaries like Surgeon and such. Before we dive into the details of stock building, um, can you mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about yourself when you came to the company, what your jobs have been, and all that good stuff? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I came to the company about six years ago. Uh, currently run builder development. I work with uh, you know customers alike all the way up through uh, major manufacturers help OEMs build and produce stocks, uh, one-off style OEM or original you know equipment manufacturing. Uh, and day-to-day -day grind, answering the phones, talking to people, helping out with tech support. You know, my background is in a totally different industry, but it was, you know, production and customer service based. I've been reloading for 
I'm 50, turned 50 this year, the big 5-0. I've been loading since I was 15, reloading and, and shooting for accuracy since, uh, I guess it's been 35 years now. <laughs> I've got a little bit, of, little bit of background playing around and, you know, shooting a long range, uh, small bore and just general hunting more than anything else. Do, do you answer, I mean, do you take customer service calls today? I mean, do you still do it? Every those? single day. Can Every you, single day. Well, I got to ask I you. Answer the, go ahead. Go I ahead. answer the phones. Man. I answer the phones. I say, if somebody calls in, I'm, I'm not going to let it ring. We try not to, uh, try not to let stuff go to a voicemail. If it goes to a voicemail, we're going to call you back. You're going to get a call back. There's no need to call two or three times. You're absolutely going to get a call back, but we try to answer every single one of them. That's unique in this day and age. Usually you're used to either getting an answer machine or a robo call. You know, it's kind of like push this button, push yeah. this button, and it gets pretty old. So it's pretty awesome. You actually answer the phone. Yeah, you you may get that. I mean, if we're on a, you know, some phone calls, when you're placing a stock order, there's a lot of information to go over. And that phone call could take 10 minutes. It could take 30. But yeah. you can be assured that if you got a message, it's because we're giving that attention to somebody and you're going to get it on the next phone call. Well, I got to ask you, what's your most memorable call, good or bad? Oh, <laughs> uh, boy. Uh, well, I had an individual, the most memorable. I had an individual on the telephone going over all the specs, talking about his stock. Uh, phone call went pretty darn long. You could hear somebody yelling in the background. And he says, you know, I apologize, but I'm, I'm at a funeral. I'm a pallbearer. I got to go. <laughs> A pallbearer. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, he had taken time out to uh, you know, I guess not listen to what was going on yeah. in, the, in the stock order. Fucking so, time management right there. <laughs> Priorities. That's rough. That's had to rough. be had to be a mother or father in law. Had to be. Oh my. <laughs> Uh, I didn't get into great detail at that <laughs> point, but, uh, and I won't throw his name out because to this day, he's still a really good customer. <laughs> well, absolutely. If he's but, calling during a funeral. <laughs> that one sticks in my head. Uh, oh, wow, awesome. Pretty bold. Pretty bold. <laughs> All right, Jake, you want to jump into the questions? Yeah. So we have, uh, unfortunately for Josh, we have a lot of questions written out on a piece of paper here and, and. Again, this being part of, I think I think this will be issue. This may be number three in the rifle deconstructed series. Maybe number two or number, number three. Two. Um, but really, the goal here is for you listeners to educate you on how to order a stock properly. Um, Josh is going to go through their process, and and again, we have lots of questions for them, and and it involves a number of options that may be available between different stock manufacturers. So I guess we can start off. Uh, Josh, do you guys offer a mini chassis of any kind? We do not. Do we do not. not. We we have since day one had some proprietary fills that we utilize. Uh, we hand stuff those shells. We can get into the construction of it a little bit later in the conversation, I'm sure. But we put aluminum pillars into the stocks as they're being made, and those pillars are cut during the action inlet. So you're getting a true one-to-one -one interface with between the action and the bedding location of the action in the stock. Okay. Well, I guess that would carry us into a another question was, what are your thoughts on bedding and action in a McMillan stock? Man, I'm, I'll be honest, I'm a bit torn. 
we've for years and years said, you know, you really don't have to bet our stocks. And that's the truth. You don't. We do a very, very tight precision inlet. <clears throat> Pardon my throat. I apologize. Um, we do a very tight precision inlet. Um, you've been the recipient of those inlets. You're familiar with them oh, yeah. uh, yourself. You know, they, they, they lock in, they pull down at 45 inch pounds of torque. They do really, really well. And the average hunter, the average shooter, even the above average hunter and shooter aren't going to notice the difference between being bedded and not bedded with our stocks. Uh, when it comes into the competition side or getting just 100% squeaking out every bit of everything you can out of a stock, then I would say, yeah, bed the stock. If you're leaving no stone unturned and in today's market, let's face it, you're, you're building an expensive rifle. They're, they're not getting any cheaper. Um, and you want to get 100% of everything you could possibly squeak out of the accuracy of that system that you're putting together. I would bet it. I would mm -hmm. go ahead and just bet the stock. You know, use Marine Techs with our product bonds really well and has proven to be a really good betting material as well. Yeah, I think most most custom rifle builders, you know, of the caliber that you're speaking of would generally push a customer to betting the action just because on, on our end, we never know what the shooter is capable of on the other end. So to produce the best type of rifle, the most precise rifle possible, I think betting the action is almost a given at this point. I would agree. I yeah. would agree. And I, I, but I can also say that if you call me up and say, Josh, I've got a Tika T3X and I want to put it in a, you know, in a, in a game scout stock, uh, do I need to bet it? No, you don't. This is something you can place that order. And when it shows up, you can literally bolt that thing up and go shoot it and expect to have far better results than a factory stock. Yeah. Uh, just from a comfort and, you know, comfort, rigidity, stiffness, and, and overall thrust line of the stock, you're going to have better accuracy out of that system. Um, do you need to, at that point, do you need to bet it? That's going to be up to the individual. Yeah. I would say just, just to take one moment for the listener. So if you, if you're unfamiliar with what betting is, uh, betting, basically, you want the the action of the rifle, the bolt action, to have full engagement, touching on every surface possible to the stock, uh, a tight kind of zero tolerance fit. And then you want your barrel, for the most part, it depends on how long and thick the barrel is, but for the most part, you want the barrel to be free-floated. In other words, the barrel never touches the stock, but every part of the action touches the stock in the most surface area, basically with the most surface area possible. So your gunsmith will, your custom rifle builder will, we hear we hog out some material. So we'll take a Dremel and try and give some room for whether it be Marine Techs or DevCon, whatever the two-part epoxy might be. But it's basically a, a two-part steel epoxy that hardens extremely strong. If you, don't, if you don't spray some type of mold release agent onto the action when you bed it to the stock, it will literally be locked in and stuck to the stock permanently. Um, so you hog some material out, you lay on the DevCon of the Marine Tech's pretty thick and you spray mold release all over the action, plug all the holes, you squeeze those two together, and then you allow the DevCon Marine Tech's to cure. And then when you're all done a day later, you pull them apart, you clean up the edges, and then you have a perfectly mated, uh, action into the stock of your rifle which like Josh said, is, is pretty much the, it's the most precise way to build a rifle. It's not always necessary depending on what your goals are with the rifle. If you 
if you're looking for a timber shouldered rifle with one inch accuracy, you know, it's not going to be, it's not going to be necessary, especially in a Macmillan stock with a CNC cut inlet. That's probably the most accurate, you know, accurate inlet that you can get. Okay. Mm. So we pretty much covered everything uh, as far as betting is concerned. Now that the listener is educated, what that means, and you should definitely listener, you should be for the most part, if you're looking for the most accurate rifle possible and you're spending that five, six grand on a custom rifle build, you know, it should be bedded. Most, most custom rifle builders are going to do 95% of guys are going to be doing that. But if you happen to find yourself with a new rifle builder, you don't know much about, and you go to pull that barreled action out of that stock and it's not bedded. That's probably, probably a bad sign. Yeah. And, and just a fair warning. If you're new to this process, if you're new to the betting process, don't be the YouTube installer. There's a lot of great information. (laughs) There's a lot of great information out there, but I've had multiple calls where people are trying to figure out how to get their barreled action back out of our stock that they just glued in. Oh, no. Uh, it, you, yeah, you, you've got to be cautious with it. And uh, it's something worth there's a bunch of things out there you can do yourself. There's no doubt about that. Uh, accessory mounting and, you know, mounting your scope and getting stuff level. Uh, but there is a level of craftsmanship to a quality bed job that should just be taken to a good quality gunsmith. Completely agree. Completely agree. Especially if you're in that, if you, if you just bought yourself a nice Macmillan <laughs> stock and you got a custom rifle there, that's not, that's not the, not the part of the job you want to be doing in your garage. You just purchased a custom action, a custom trigger. You've got a beautiful scope, a beautiful stock. You're, you know, north of three or four thousand dollars. The last thing you want to do is glue them together. Mm-hmm. We call those gun plumbers. <laughs> gun plumbers. There you go. Hey, Josh, you there mentioned you, you mentioned forty-five inch pounds just a little bit ago. Yeah. Uh, is this your mm-hmm. recommended? This would be, you know, there's there's a lot of different names for the screws, but basically it's the two screws that hold the action into the stock. Is that your guys' recommended torque? Yes, that's okay. correct. We, we, we recommend starting out at 45-inch pounds. Hmm. Okay. So we talked a little bit. You talk to a lot of customers on the phone. You take a lot of orders for stocks. What mm-hmm. are, let's call them the, 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 the pieces of data, pieces of information about the stock that customers seem to miss the most? All right. That's there's first off, there's no wrong way to order a stock. Everybody has to start somewhere. And we deal with customers that call up and they know every single piece of information on our order form that's available at, you know, mcmillanusa.com. It's under the build your own tab. And for the most part, if you print that order form off, you can use it as scratch paper. Just know that these are the items that we're going to be asking about. Call that in. It's okay. Talk to your human. It's it's really nice to engage with someone one-to-one and really get some finality to the questions that they have and know that when they hang up, they've got a sock ordered correctly. Uh, the biggest piece of information missing on 90% of first-time orders is going to be the barrel's cylinder length. The known as the cylinder or shank length, it's the location of the the chamber. There's a straight section on most barrels that we call the cylinder or and or shank, uh, depending on who whose terminology you're using. But that cylinder length 
is often given to me. Let's use Bartline for an example, uh, Bartline 3B. From Bartline, that barrel is going to come to you with a two and three quarter inch shank length. That shank length has to be trued by the gunsmith or trimmed up, cleaned up. It may be coin cut. It may just knock the letters off. But they have to cut the chamber. They have to cut the tin, and it's going to screw into the action. Depending on the action, you may have a pinned-on lug, or you may have an integrated recoil lug. That's all going to change the length from the face of the action to the first point of contour on that barrel. I have thousands of barrel channel programs that we can run. The variant in those is always that cylinder length. That's going to tell us how far forward and aft we need to be with our program when we run it to guarantee that perfect 35,000, 40,000 float on the barrel. What is your, what would be the standard deduction for tenon threads in those programs? Well, there's so many, right? Uh, every action is going to be a little bit different. Okay. On average, they're about an inch. Okay. You know? And you want so, that measurement from, if it's an integrated lug action, you want it from the front of the lug. And if it's a non-integrated lug action, you want that from the front of the action, not the lug. We can always say the front of the action, the face of the action to the first point of contour on the barrel after it's been installed. Okay. Now, it sounds daunting, but that number is, for any gunsmith out there worth their salt, that number is just a simple piece of math, and they give it to the customer. The customer orders the stock and sends it to the gunsmith. The gunsmiths, in most cases, know that number, and they have it available, and they give it to them when they're placing an order. But if we're talking to a consumer with, you know, the, the knowledge base that they're, they're building their first gun and they're still learning, that number is never provided. So it's something that we really, really need. And that's just one more reason, guys, why we're doing this series is because obviously you can't order your stock first. If you have no idea your cartridge choice, it's for example, if you were shooting a 338 Lapu Improved, uh, here at Unknown, we'd put you in a three inch long by 1.3 inch diameter shank. And, you know, if you changed into that cartridge or changed your mind somewhere down the line and the stock was already ordered, well, that's not going to match up anymore. So if you want that clean, yeah, okay. you know, fit and finish type of look that Josh is describing, basically that's how the stock flows around the barrel as it's moving towards the front of your rifle. It could be this big open channel with a little skinny barrel in it. It looks like shit, you know, but if you have... If you have all the right information, and obviously this could be provided by the gun builder, um, but you need to be educated on that. And obviously if Josh is missing that information most of the time, then uh, something to pay attention to. I recommend in most cases that the stock is the last thing ordered. <laughs> yeah. And and that's really rough, uh, especially with lead times that, that we're dealing with in the industry nowadays. I mean, you've got actions that can go, you know, four to 12 months. You've got barrels that may be in the same range. Uh, you might get lucky and get something in hand. Uh, when you do, that's that's awesome. If you get lucky, that's great. But the reality is a custom build nowadays isn't going to take six months. A custom build nowadays is a 12 to 18 month project. It's a hunt and gun for next year. Is, don't uh, start. Don't is, start in January and think you're going to be hunting deer this year if you don't have at least one of the major components available to you. Yeah, barrels are uh, at most manufacturers at uh, carbon barrels twelve months or more out. Hey, Josh, do you see many problems with the new prefit prefit craze with barrels? I haven't seen 
I haven't seen or heard any issues at all. I'm I'm actually very, very happy about it. I, I think it's really cool because in most cases, that cylinder length issue that we're dealing with on a prefit isn't a big deal because the specs are on the manufacturer's website. I can go to proof and look at a Tika prefit spec and it's going to give me the number right away. We help the customer out. We put them together and away they go. Uh, I think with modern machining and the the advancement of the technology that we're using in the industry nowadays, these pre-fit barrels, phenomenal. I had an opportunity recently to to shoot a Kratos uh, that was on a pre-fit barrel. Damn, that was a tack driver, man. I mean, it was just on point, and he literally bolted that barrel. I mean, just screwed that barrel on two days before. I'm like wow, blows me away. Some of the new prefits are really, really tight. You know, I'm still not a uh, you know a barrel nut fan. Me neither. I think there's, yeah, I think there's some some room for improvement in that side of it. Uh, I think Savage did a great job with the concept. Uh, I think that floating bolt head that they had really played a big uh, big part in in being able to do so, but. I don't know. You can have a big, um, you can have a beautiful custom rifle. As soon as I see that barrel that I'm like, huh. <laughs> huh. Yeah. you know, I, I see the reason for it. I know there's a lot of, uh, you know, armchair armors out there that they, they've all built their ARs uh, and they want to build their own bull rifle. And I think it's a great idea that, that people can get into that and be able to do it. You know, it fits a lot of people's budgets and, and power to them. That's awesome. I'm glad it's working out, but I just, uh, the, the barrel nut thing, uh, using a go, no go. And, and, uh, I don't know. They're just aesthetically, they're not pleasing to my eye. Yes. I agree. We should explain also. I don't, I don't think that most people will understand even, even a barrel nut prefit style of barrel versus an actual shouldered prefit and so on. So with the, what Ryan was asking about the big craze is that basically with the, with the introduction of CNC machines, that can very accurately chamber barrels, make tenon threads, all that good stuff. You can, you know, take an action that has a guaranteed headspace, and you can. There's nothing I can do about it. Oh, okay. We'll have to cut that out right there. So, um, so again, so back to the shouldered prefit. A shouldered prefit is basically what a gunsmith would do for you on a manual lathe. But because of the guaranteed headspace in today's custom actions, it can be done without an action on site. So you could buy, let's say, a Kratos action, and then you can order a prefit for that Kratos action, and it's going to arrive to your house. And you technically can can take a barrel vise, and you can torque this action onto that barrel, uh, check headspace with a go no go gauge, and you're off to the races. And you didn't need a you didn't need a machinist or a gunsmith involved for you to complete that barreled action. So that would be a, a real shouldered prefit. The other version is with a with a barrel nut and Savage. I guess Savage kind of started this, but it has the yeah, tenon, it, yeah. yeah, the tendon threads on the outside of the barrel are basically continuous, and you screw a nut all the way onto the barrel, and then you screw the barrel into the action until the headspace is correct, and then you tighten that nut up to lock the headspace in at that spot. So you don't need to worry about it having a shoulder. That's a difference between a shouldered prefit. And a standard, it can be called Savage, savage Threads. Uh, now they're calling it Remage, which is basically the same Savage Nut idea, but 
It has your one and a sixteenth threads for a Remington seven hundred. They call it Remage, mm-hmm. and you could screw that in, you know, at home. Set your headspace. Same idea, but a shoulder prefit is considered more accurate or precise than a nut on a Savage. Basically, garage. it's a big. Basically, it's a big jam nut. Mm-hmm. Adding adding those stresses. Uh, anytime you can mitigate or minimize the stresses to your build, I think you're better. You're, you're just going to be better off. And I, I just, uh, I don't know. I can't, I can't say that I'm against it. I'm just aesthetically. It's not my thing. All right. So we're going to continue down this list of questions here. Do you guys ever have, I know you have some, let's say ready to purchase stocks on the website, but is there ever a situation where you guys may have stocks that are, that, that haven't yet made it to the website that a guy can call, and say, hey, do you have one of these? Or pretty much everything you guys have available is, is listed on your site. We did at one time. We no longer do. Uh, and the reason for that is efficiency, right? Uh, we've gotten anything that you find on our website that's currently available for retail sale or you know any, any type of sale that's in inventory was either an overrun or a cancellation. Uh, it's very rare that we have... Does uh, have built and cut stocks to put on the online store for retail sales? Uh, when we do, it's uh, specialty stocks, you know, custom paint jobs or testing the market for different colorations and variants, and see if see what kind of response we get or an immediate response we get. We can put stocks up on our website. Um, Browning X Bolt, for instance, we can throw 10 of those up on a Monday morning and they'll be gone Tuesday morning. Hmm. They go, people watch that stuff like a hawk because the wait times are, you know, could be anywhere from three months to six months. And is that the the lower end of that lead time you just described? Is that where the molded in paint versus the the regular paint? Is that what changes that? Yes. That's a, that's a very large factor. Uh, there are fewer steps taken for a painted stock versus a molded in coloration stock or a, a, a gel coat molded in coloration stock. So we've got a lot more process. There's a lot more hand time or hands on time with a molded in coloration. So we can get painted stocks, for instance, or we'll take a, you know, a game hunter or a game warden 2.0 or something of that nature, really popular stock. We're doing a carbon fiber version of that or a fiberglass version of that painted. I've seen them out of here in two months recently. Uh, three and a half, between three and three and a half is average for a painted stock. Um, some of them that aren't as popular, and we're doing batch runs on these things, so they they may take four, four and a half months on a painted version. But those molded in stocks go through a lot more processing to make sure that you're getting exactly what you want, the, the finite work, the handwork that goes into them. They're going to run that five and a half to six months. Okay. So right now, uh, if a customer wanted a painted stock, you're right about three months. And if they want a molded in color stock, it's, it's six months. Is that correct? If it's for the more popular stocks. Yeah. I would say okay. we're going to be in that three, three to four month range. Okay. You guys have a, uh, a new long range version of the game warden 2.0. And I just had a question recently about when that will be available in a Tika T3 inlet. Ah, well, I'll tell you first, it, uh, the, the mold is being worked as we speak. I hope to see something available for order within the next four weeks. So I can put some of those on order with you now and. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. 
Uh, I've got to proof everything out. Um, it would be it would be silly for us to to open ourselves up to that and say, hey, come on for pre-orders. You know, if we have it, we have it. If we don't, we don't. And uh, I want to make sure that 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 mold is proofed and everything is good. All of our fitment is right. There's no little minor changes. I'd hate to say, yeah, man. Why don't you you know send me an order for ten? We'll get them on your site. But everything uh, will be happy. Dory. And then in a month, I go, hey, uh, you know, we we ran the mold and or we ran the mold and we cast a few and there's a boo boo here that we got to work on. And uh, you know, why is it that but, a, that a Tika Inlet needs its own mold? Ah, very good question. I appreciate the question. Uh, Seiko, Tika, Winchester, Remington. They all have different dimensional needs. So your tang or at the rear of the action, those tang angles and the depth in which they sit forward and aft is going to control the trigger location from the face of the grip forward. It's also its body diameter, uh, the pinch point. Uh, you're familiar with the term pinch point. Uh, that's the distance between the center of the bore and the level of a magazine locking in so that it has proper feed. Those pinch points change on different manufacturers. So a Tika, for instance, has a large bottom metal. We're all familiar with that radius side, unlike the CTR. We have to be able to build a stock that fits the overall silhouette or profile of the long range, the game more than long range. But in that body section at the action area, it has to dimensionally fit both vertically and horizontal, you know, and it's got to be able to tuck up nice and clean. If I took the bottom metal from Atika and tried to inlet that onto a stock that was designed for, let's say, a Remington, it would overhang the sides. Got it. It would be horrible. <laughs> Nobody would want that. I mean, we, we're dealing with a very high-end stock. Very precision needs. We want it to be perfect. So each one's going to get their own casting. Each each manufacturer is going to get their own version of that stock. And for the listeners, what other Macmillan stock models are available in a Tika T3 inlet? Uh, you too many. <laughs> Man, I hate saying it, but uh, almost everything we do for Remington. Uh, okay, we're we're. Tika is probably the fastest, next to Browning, uh, Tika is probably the fastest over-the-counter rifle that we're doing. It's the most popular. It's the fastest growing in the state. That's what currently. I keep getting told. Ryan uh, Ryan is quite the proponent of Tika stocks, Tika rifles. They're hard to beat. They stuff. Josh, I do have a question before we leave on the, the game word in yeah. LR. In my, from what I've seen, that's your first step into a negative comb stock. Is that correct? No, no, no. We've done that on the Game Hunters, a negative comb. The Game Warden 2.0 is a negative comb. Well, I think uh, he means maybe maybe with the, the top comb of the stock coming all the way to the shoulder, so not having that, that oh, dip. Cop, yes, yep. yes. Yeah, yep. going all the way to the rear. Yes. yes. So the Monte Carlo on the Game Hunters, a negative, and the 2.0, obviously, is a Monte Carlo height without the cheek weld. And those are, those are all negative comb as well, which for anybody listening that isn't familiar with that negative comb, it's, it's awful nice when you're pulling the trigger mm -hmm. on bigger stuff and it's not eating your cheekbone. You can shoot. Yeah. I think, I think you had a, Josh, I think you had a conversation with Ryan before yeah. we started I, this podcast, because you keep touching on all his, all his big pet peeves <laughs> that he loves so much. You hitting on him. 
Yes, and it has to have well, that where negative comb where it's but it's above it's I call it butt above bore. You know the the actual butt stock at the top is above mm-hmm. the bore line, and it definitely reduces felt recoil to me. Anyways, so I kind of oh, rolled this certainly. into a question. You know what? Uh, on your side, Josh, when you guys are maybe you have a meeting and you talk about hey, we want to do a new stock, something like this. What is the driving force in McMillan behind a new stock design? Customer comment and and reception in the market. Uh, we get we we take our customer feedback very very seriously. Uh, we don't just watch other people and go, hey, let's do what they do. You know, uh, we we may be a little bit slower to respond to the market uh, than some others, but we respond with the proper product and and with it done correctly. Uh, you know, you listen to your customers constantly. You know, and you take notes and we we break down, we have meetings, you know, once a week. Well, we'll chat with production from the sales side and you go, hey man, this is what we're up against. This is what this guy wanted. Well, this is undoable, you know, it's it's just can't be done. Uh, you know, a lot of people that want to hey, take the butt off of this and put the fore into that. <laughs> but it's uh <laughs> it's not that easy. Definitely. But not. there's there's things like the negative come. Um, like the longer, lower slopes on the toe angles for bag rides, you know, ride the bag, um, going a little bit wider. I've, we've, you know, if you look at the 2.0 and the LR, the butt pads a little bit wider now that that was of multiple requests. I mean, it distributes the recoil along with the negative comb. It distributes the recoil in a larger area, a little deeper into the pocket of your shoulder and the perceived recoil. And I say perceived because you're not changing the actual recoil, but the perceived or felt recoil is it's much nicer to shoot. I mean, and the the better we can do that, the longer you're going to stay at the range, the better you're going to become, the more comfortable you are with the shot. You're not tensing up. And all of those factors play into you becoming a better shooter. So I have a couple questions in a, in a row here. I'm gonna hit you with both of them and then let you let you go on about it. But basically, so so first main question will be who would you consider as your main competitor or competitors? And mm-hmm. you know, here at Unknown Munitions, we have a wall of stocks and chassis. Of course, there's McMillan stocks there. We have AG Composites, Manners, XLR chassis, MDT Hunt 26. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're carrying now the Nimrod stock from Dallas. And mm-hmm. I will tell you that recently customers coming into the shop. And I guess it'd be a little bit of customer feedback for you, but customers come to the shop. They absolutely love the Manners Long Range Hunter and the mm-hmm. Pro Hunter for a couple reasons. One would be that the Manners Long Range Hunter has a adjustable cheek piece that weighs nothing. And it has yes. that Arca integrated in front of the bottom metal. And now with the Pro Hunter stock, they have an integrated Picatinny. Uh, Gunworks does the same thing. Uh AG has a stock, I can't remember, the K2, something like that. It has a slope up on the front of the end with an integrated pick rail. And I guess really the question mm-hmm. is, Josh, as you, as you guys, as McMillan is seeing competitors like Manners coming out with features like this that, you know, at a pound mm-hmm. 13 ounces, that long range hunter has a ton of features for that weight. Um, are you guys looking at adding these options to any stocks like that integrated pick rail, integrated Arca, a super light adjustable cheek piece? And kind of how do you guys respond to, to, to competitors, you know, features that are coming out? Well, I'll key on uh, who, are, who are our major competitors are. Obviously, Manners uh, is out there and they're doing a fantastic job. 
love love the competition. I think they build a good product. They really do build a good product, and I would put them at uh, as as our competitor. You know, uh, without competition, we have nothing, right? Oh yeah. Uh, Ag, um, don't know. I haven't played with their stuff enough, uh, so I I really I know that their price point is somewhere in the competitive line, but their stocks themselves, I they're more uh, high production. You know, not as mm-hmm. not as customizable. I think that's something that we bring to the table over those uh, other, you know, higher end stock manufacturers is our inlet capabilities, what we do, and and uh, the availability to that type of change and you know, barrel manufacturers and action manufacturers and such bottom metal changes. Feature rich stocks uh, to to address the second question. Those, those stocks are very feature-rich for what they are. Um, we don't know or haven't seen them play out yet. I mean, there's a lot of people that have them, and they're using them, and people do love them. There's no doubt about it. I can't speak to what we've discussed and what we're working on. There are some things coming down the pipe that are going to be very make a lot of people very happy. <laughs> okay. uh, again, like I said, we are... Uh, we may be a little bit slower to respond to the market, but when we do, the heck of an impact. Nice. And we have heard, uh, we've heard several times that you guys are coming out with a chassis. Can you give us any information on that at all? Uh, I haven't, haven't heard that myself. So, <laughs> okay. I be able to comment on that. Okay. So there's. Chassis manufacturing would be a that'd be a whole different ball game. Uh-huh. Are you saying there's no aluminum in the building? <laughs> no, there there absolutely is big we chunks. Big our, chunks. Yeah, we, yes, we have big chunks of aluminum in the building, and we use them for our molds. There you go. <laughs> nice. Uh, I, well, maybe we'll have another podcast then, Josh, when you guys come out with the chassis. Uh, when we uh, <laughs> when we come out with some new, I think we definitely need to have another podcast where we come out with some new product. Nice, for sure. absolutely, absolutely, that, absolutely for sure. Okay, Josh, I got a question real quick on your fill types because Please. I always see yes. them thrown out there, and I don't think they all, people always know what they mean. So, you, I believe on top of my head, you have edge, you have edge enhanced, sporter, magnum, and sniper. Yes, and can you go through what each one of those, which each one of those, yeah, you are? wrapped those off pretty good there. Well, I memorized it yeah. this morning. No, huh? it's, it's as if he has an order form in front of him. I know, huh? I, I, I've ordered from you before, and I, I'll get into your warranty. I've done a few warranties with you because I had a rifle that was in an edge that shouldn't be, but I kind of lied to you, and you still fixed it, so I kind of wanted to talk about that, too. So, anyways. Well, that was a shot. Thanks. No, but our, <laughs> our, our warranty is fantastic. We're, we're always going to stand behind every, you know, we're, yeah. we're always going to stand behind our, our stocks and what we build. Uh, we ask that people don't put a 338 Norma improved in a, an ultra light edge stock. I mean, that's a lot of recoil for what we're producing. Then uh, that gets right to the fill. Our edge fill is the lightest weight fill. And and uh, to step back just a hair, uh, the fill type is the material that we put inside of the shells that we produce. The we whole, are, are we talking about the entire shell or just around the recoil lug? No, sir. We'll get to the recoil lug portion. Okay. But the entire shell is filled front to rear 
with some type of solid material. And those are our fill types. That material is a proprietary uh, epoxy-based fill. Uh, we can build those fills extremely light or extremely heavy. We have a handful of different styles of fill, uh, each one weighing different and supporting a different load in a different direction. So it's, it's a structural component of the stock. Our shells are built out of carbon fiber or fiberglass. All of them are hand laid. There's, there's no pre-preg. Everything is, is hand, hand coated, put together, hand laid, bubbles worked out, everything. As far as the fill goes, edges are very lightest fill that we make, and that will go into a carbon fiber stock. The carbon fiber stock itself, the shell lends structural rigidity so that we can use a lighter weight fill material on the interior. The enhanced edge is exactly the same fill, though in the lug area or the forward section uh, of the action area, we put a stronger fill. Enhanced edge would, let's say you had a, uh, you know, granddad's 30 out six, you wanted to lighten it up. We put that, you know, old Remington BDL, 700 BDL into an edge or a hunter's edge stock that's all edge fill. No problem on a 30 out six. Everything's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, now we took dad's old Magnum, you know, his old 300 rum, and we, we redid that. We turned it into a 28 nozzler. A 28 nozzler is going to have substantially more recoil than a 30 out six, but it still falls within our ultralight range. So we're going to just enhance the lug area so that it handles that recoil better for long-term durability. So enhanced edge is just adding a stronger material in the lug area in an edge or carbon fiber stock. It typically adds about two ounces to the overall build because of the density of the material in that area. And your cutoff for that is 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 it a long mag? Like let's say it's three hundred PRC. Is long magnum PRC, your cutoff? And no long no because uh, let's uh, three hundred rums a long magnum. Thirty three seventy eight is a long magnum. You know those things they'll they'll knock the snot out of some of our edge felt. Uh, there's typically we used to say a 300 Winchester Magnum and we are, I'm going to avoid giving a solid answer to this because we're evaluating some of our material changes right now. And we are paying a lot of attention to the amount of recoil that those materials can handle. So the answer, if I gave an answer right now, it's most likely going to change in the very near future. I guess I would just say when in doubt, order enhanced. 300. Yeah, when in doubt, order enhanced. Uh, don't, you know, we like to say back in the day, 300 Win Mag was the best, right? I mean, that was the strongest, not the best, but the strongest recoil we wanted in our edge. Well, the 300 PRC is, you know, it's stronger than a 300 Win Mag, mm-hmm. but it has a different recoil pulse. It's a thumper, not a cracker, you know? But it's going to handle it differently. Uh, those are some of the things that we're looking into at this point. Uh, there's a high probability that we'll be bringing those uh, those tolerances up in recoil. Okay, you know, so what what other fills are available? Sporter fill, sniper fill, magnum fill. The sporter fill is really designated or designed for our standard 
run-of-the-mill hunting stocks, you know, any any of our hunting stocks, our standard fill or sporter fills are standard fill. It's going to be a fiberglass resin-based fill with, again, some proprietary materials in there for uh, recoil absorption and strength, so structural strength. Those are going to be generally put into a fiberglass shelled stock. So your hunting stock is going to come in that two to two and a half pound range. And that's the, that's the medium area or the center area for weight and uh, recoil absorption. Uh, you'll find 90% of our stocks, you know, our hunting cartridges nowadays are going to fit into that category, that, that sporter category with fiberglass shell uh, economically, it's the most efficient way to build a stock. Fiberglass, painted, sporter fill, it's going to be your, your lowest cost stock. Mm -hmm. When you get into your magnum fills, it's going to be a higher density fill material in a fiberglass. And those magnum fills, you're, you're not going to break those. You're going to, you can, you're going to lob a 50 BMG into them, you're, uh, you know, or a 416 Barrett, 408, any of the shy techs, the enablers, all the all your big stuff can can be handled by the by the uh, magnum fill. Now that fill is going to gain weight. Uh, it's going to gain weight fairly quick. And when I say that, we're going to gain a half a pound. You know, probably between eight and ten ounces on the magnum fill. Uh, but you know, a little bit more weight, less recoil, the bigger cartridges, it handles that. Sniper fill is essentially the same thing as magnum fill, but it adds a denser fill material to the rear of the stock to help balance out some of the larger profile barrel contours. You're stretching a 30-inch barrel that's, you know, muzzle diameters an inch and an eighth out there. You're going to want more weight in the back. And the first time you put on the bipod, the barrel's going to touch the ground. It's going to teeter forward. Are so all utilized? Of, are all of your stocks okay. offered in these fills? All five types? All five types. No, the first two, edge and edge enhanced, are only offered in carbon fiber. The rest of the fills, the sporter, magnum, and sniper, are available in carbon fiber or fiberglass. With the with the edge or the enhanced edge, if I called you today, Josh, and told you I wanted to put a thirty three XC in a Nimrod stock. I mean, is there a, other than enhanced edge, is, is enhanced edge going to handle that? And if not, what no. are some additional steps that are taken or what would you do in that situation? What we would want to do in that situation is go to a solid glass lug area and or solid glass lug and action area. So you're not going to see the benefit of the weight savings there because of the solid glass lug needed or solid glass action area needed to handle the recoil of a 33XE. So so edge and then enhanced edge, and then there's the, there's the let's say, the secret menu item there. Uh, if you're going to run something big and tough like an XC, which, which so you guys yep. know that's 118 grains N570, that's a 300 grainer at 3,100 out of a 24-inch barrel. It's a monster. You're looking for yeah. a, and, and it's solid glass bigger. in the whole action area or just the lug. No, in the whole action. The area. whole action area, okay. Yeah. So, to the the people that are going to order that stock, um, that's going to be a phone call. We're going to get in depth. We're going to chat about that heavily before you go to that stock. 
Uh, the people that are ordering that stock are trying to save as much weight as they possibly can. They want the carbon fiber look, but they're not going to benefit from all of the weight savings. You will benefit from some, but not all of the weight savings of edge or edge enhanced at that mm -hmm. point. Mm -hmm. You're just not going to be able to do it with that cartridge. Do you guys have any adjustable butt stocks that would be available for a standard type of hunting stock like that or, or just on your, you know, competition? Not on ELR the hunting. Type? Yeah, okay. that's going to be on the tactical or ELR style only. Our hunting stocks are typically designed, they're going to be in the, you know, 13 to 14 and a half inch length of pull. Obviously, that's something that you can designate to us while we're taking the order we want that stock to fit you and fit you really well that's something else that people often don't have is their length of pull they don't know their length of pull uh the length of pull as you guys know but our, our listeners may not is measured from the trigger shoe itself to the end of the butt pad so if you had that standing on the table and you measure from the table straight up from the butt pad you want to measure to the trigger average industry you know the the regular or whatever everybody wants to call it nowadays is 13 and a half inches mm -hmm. and we see that 13 and a half inches typically fits everybody in that five foot seven to five foot eleven range you know the average american male that's purchasing a rifle and so, then you got go then you got guys like myself you know uh pushing you know, six foot four, so, you know, you need a longer length of pull. That's going to help with the geometry in your arm. It's going to make for a much more comfortable cheek weld. Your neck's going to place properly. Your hand's going to be positioned right so that you're not adding torque to your shot. If Ryan and I needed to put an adjustable buttstock on a Nimrod, what would you recommend? Ooh. Basically, we're going to, so Ryan and I signed up to shoot the Night Force ELR challenge as a team in Open Heavy, mm -hmm. and we're going to shoot uh, the Nimrod stock. So we're going to cut the butt pad off, add a mm -hmm. bunch of lead slugs in the back end there to increase the weight, and then we're going to cover it back up there. So rather than put on a, just another butt pad, we were thinking doing mm -hmm. something adjustable to make it more. We're just going to reserve these on the side for, let's call it our competition stock. So that's our plan. Yeah, I would... I would have to take a take a measurement to it. That stock was not designed with a expandable rear end as an option. Uh -huh. uh, that that was pretty. It's pretty darn tall back there and fairly wide on that particular stock. Um, you know, give me a jingle after the podcast. I'll measure out like a three way. We'll see if that plate might work for you. Okay, you know, something like a three way, an aluminum three way plate or something that would uh, come off of one of our. F-class or FTR style stocks. Copy. Go ahead, Ryan. I'm going to talk too much. Oh, no, you're fine. I just was taking it all in. I got to ask because <laughs> some of the companies offer uh, pinning the lug behind the recoil lug area. They put a pin all thread piece through there. Is that something you recommend or is that something you guys are totally against or do you offer that? I do not offer it. Um, not familiar with the process. Uh, heard about it. Haven't had the time to really get into it so i i wouldn't be able to comment on that unfortunately we've done you know, a couple I, here I basically it's just a capture it's just a capture device for the lug yeah you know, we would... if you're if, if you're going to do that then 
why add steel to something that may have adhesion issues when you can just simply bed the lug? Yeah, even after bedding the lugs, like w- w- putting a 33XC even in, in an enhanced edge type situation or in a manor stock, we would uh, behind the lug in front of the front action screw dead center, basically mm-hmm. uh, drill a hole sideways through the stock and screw in all thread with epoxy, trim it mm-hmm. off on each side basically to reinforce that area, I guess prevent compression of that area, even if it was going to be bedded. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't advise that on our product. Okay, okay. <laughs> Probably a smart move. So how yeah. would a no, how cut, would a <laughs> how would a warranty repair work or what what is your well additionally, what is your largest warranty issue that you see coming in from customers? Ooh, that's a darn good question. I don't handle the warranty side of things. That's a that's one of our gals here, Lynn. She's been here for 32 years and she handles that type of stuff. But I think for the most part, I would say 50% of the socks that we get back are customers having them repainted or changing a barrel inlet. Um, from a warranty standpoint, you know, we'll see a, you know, a bubble in a stock here and there, you know, or you get a, an air bubble inside the stock that was unforeseeable. And then it makes contact with the, you know, with a, side of a pine tree or with a rock somewhere and it goes, Hey, holy mackerel, there was an air bubble here chipped out. Well, then we'll get that fixed. We'll get that patched up and squared away. Copy. But realistically, not, not a, not a whole lot of warranty issues. I mean, we build them really real heavy, real precise. Um, we do get them back from time to time where the customer <laughs> or the, the purchaser, let's say, let's say the purchaser, the purchaser gets it and says, Hey man, it doesn't fit. And that's probably, I wouldn't even be able to lend a percentage to it, but we do see that. Um, we'll see a couple, we'll probably see a couple of months that just don't fit. You mean like and their barreled action doesn't fit in the stock? Yeah. They, okay. they, they get it. They go, Hey man, this thing was supposed to be perfect and it don't fit. It doesn't bolt up. And then you, pull the old order out you look it over and you go this is you know what we had and this is what you said you had and and it doesn't uh we'll find a manufacturer change on stock or factory rifles is typically what causes that uh we'll we'll find that the manufacturer on a uh like here's a for instance the uh, featherweight winchester featherweight has had four different cylinder lengths over the years. And we don't know when they change them, but we, we find out as soon as we send one out or two out, you know, or we'll find uh, a manufacturer makes a change to their bottom metal and we're unaware of it. You know, so they get it and their bottom metal won't fit. You know, uh, you know it, it fits our fitting tools. Everything was written up properly. It was cut properly, but when they received it, they go, hey, man, this thing's you know too narrow or it's too wide or it's too deep. And, of course, we take care of that. That's not something we would uh, put the onus on the customer for. That's something that, you know, it's a circumstance. It was unforeseeable, and we get that stock back here. If it's uh, something that we can open up to make work, you know, if it's gone larger, we can certainly do that. Or if we have to build them a new stock, we're going to do that. We're going to rush it through and make sure that they're good. If a customer's placed an order for a stock, when is it too late to make any changes to it? When you hang up. 
Would you? <laughs> <laughs> I know that 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 sounds uh, that sounds abrupt, right? But I can tell you, in in years past, uh, we had plenty of time. You know, in the first couple of weeks to go, okay, you know. Ryan's going to call me back and he'll give me the cylinder length later. I'll get it in the system and get it going because we had time between the processing, the confirmation and getting it into the shop. Um, Ryan, if you called me up today and said, Hey Josh, I need to order a, a doohickey stock and we're mm-hmm. going to get this. Nah, da, 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 da. Tomorrow morning, that's released for production. It's gone. Wow. Yeah, goes into a whole different system at that point. And if I've got to go chase that stock down now, it mm. is a nightmare. I got to go find it. I got to go pull the tag on it. I got to take it off the production report. I got to cancel it. And I got to make a change and then put it back in the system. So I'm very, very, I'm very dedicated to the customer knowing that when we're done, he has, or she has, or they have everything that they need to know when we hang up. Because the next morning, before six o'clock, the next morning, I get here early, you're going to have a confirmation in your email box saying, hey, this is your order. This is the price. And this is what we agreed on. Um, see you in three months, four months, five months. You know, we don't take deposits on stocks. We put a card number on file. We charge that card when it's done and ready to go. So we take that card number. We've got a verbal agreement that I'm going to build this stock. I'm going to charge it when it's done. And all the information that you've given me is true and correct. Got to be. Um, I got to talk a little about your warranty pro your warranty process. I've sent in two stocks to you. Both Mm -hmm. first, first off, both were fantastic process, simple, easy, both for my fault. I didn't admit to the second one. But uh, I had an A3 Sporter that I may or may not had a 300 Terminator in and an edge fill. (laughs) And if you're ever shooting a stock and it all of a sudden feels like a tuning fork, something's probably broke. You (laughs) should probably take a look. I don't know what you guys did because I had cracked it um, down by the first uh, pillar on the action screw in the front. Mm -hmm. And I sent it to you guys. You guys sent it back. It didn't change. It didn't give me new stock because it's still the same paint scheme. And... um, it hasn't had a problem since. So, and it was only probably, you guys probably only had it for like six weeks. So I was impressed with the turnaround time. I was impressed that you probably knew that it uh, wasn't a uh, Red Rider BB gun that was in there. It's probably something that you kicked can, a little you bit. Can be rest, you can rest assured that when they come back in, we know what really happened. Because <laughs> I remember uh, it, was, it was a lady that took it and I was like, Oh, it was just, it was just, I can't remember what I told her it was. I think I said it was a seven rem mag. And when I'm sure when you guys got it in, you're like, this ain't no seven rem mag. <laughs> no, you, there's, there are, you know, without going into detail, right. Uh, there are plenty of witness marks all over a stock that tell us exactly what happened to that stock. We've got, you know, you got to remember we got 50 years of, of, of farting around with these things. We know what happens when certain things occur. Um, I mean, Lynn alone has been here for 32 years, and that's wow. the gal you dealt with for warranty. Uh, guys will call up all the time and go, well, can I speak with the man? <laughs> Bad move, man. You should have kept with it. She's been doing this for a long time. She is aces. I mean, aces of what she does. Um, yeah, but when, when something comes in, she looks at it. <laughs> she knows what, what happened. 
Well, you, you know, guys did some it's, it's, some voodoo to it because it it was the same stock, and I, and I did downgrade. I didn't put oh, in the Terminator anymore. So I don't know what you did to it, but it you fixed it. Oh yeah, um, I, I can assure you that it was it was looked over very very heavily. It was opened back up. Uh, we put it back into a into a jig, got it on, opened it up, precision open, uh, surgically opened that thing up, and identified what was going on. If it wasn't 100% repairable, returnable, and usable, it without question, it would have just been replaced. We don't ever risk sending a product out for a firearm that it could possibly have any fault whatsoever in it. How many stocks are you guys uh, making per month? Uh, fluctuates, obviously, throughout the year, but uh, a yearly average, we're around the 10,000 mark. Oh, did you say 10,000? That's 10,000 yes, per year, right? Not per month. Yes, that's correct. 10,000 10, stocks per, a year. A year. That's a lot. All right, Josh, build <laughs> us uh, your ideal 300 PRC hunting stock from McMillan. Order it up. Ooh. You called me to place your order. I work at McMillan. Order your stock. All the details you need to Dude. do it right. I really should have an order form in front of me, but I'm pretty sure I can run down it pretty quick here. I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, on a 300 PRC, I'm going to run, I'm going to run a Night Force NX8. And it's going to be a first focal MRAD because I'm not an MOA kind of guy. All right. So knowing that, I'm going to use a 2.0, a Game Warden 2.0. I'm going to do carbon fiber enhanced edge. Not, not the, not the long range, huh? Nope. I, okay. I, uh, hmm. I like, uh, and the, the reason for that is because I really, really like the way that I like the versatility of the 2.0. It's not just a bag rider. You know, you can throw that thing around quick to face with it. It's going to cheek up really, really well. Um, I, I know I guarantee both you guys have been in dark woods when you've, you've crested over a peak on your way to where you think you need to be and you run into the animal you wanted to kill. It'd be, it's it's nice to be able to get that thing to face real quick, get up against the tree if you have the opportunity. Uh, I, I never leave that on the table. So I'm going to build a 2.0. I'm going to do it in an enhanced edge because it's a 300 PRC. Hmm. I'm definitely going to paint it because I want a non-reflective textured surface for a hunting rifle. As I move down on that, I'm probably going to do a, I'm going to do a sole DBM on it. Because, man, I like his stuff, but I don't know. I might do a BDL, like a Hawkins M5 BDL. Hinge floor plate a little wider. If I'm loading for it, I'm going to stretch them out. If I'm not loading for it, I'd use a, a factory factory DBM on it. But if I'm stretching it out, I'd use an M5 floor plate. You want a trigger? Uh, I don't want to. Lend, uh, how about a, how, how about a barrel? Just describe your hunting your your ideal hunting barrel for this gun. Dude, carbon six is building some wicked carbon fiber barrels. I've gotten a lot of accuracy out of their barrels as of recent. I don't want to play favorites to any manufacturer because, quite frankly, Benchmark has been knocking it out of the park. You know, Barkline's been knocking it out of the park. I I have a just a, a fashion with heart barrels at uh, Lafayette, New York, their barrels. I, I don't, I don't know that anybody can build a better barrel. 
I mean, I just, I really don't. I've never, ever had one of their barrels have an issue. They quit speeding up in, you know, 35, 45 rounds. I mean, they break in beautifully. They're, they're just great. I love their barrels. But I like a little heavier barrel. Um, you know, something in that Remington Sendero or Sendero profile. If it's a metal barrel, I want it fluted. If it's carbon fiber, obviously. You making any changes to the shank dimensions for a 300 PRC, or you like the uh, kind of standard two and a half inch long by 1.2 inch diameter? Well, on a, on a, it's, I am going to, that, that shank dimension is going to be whatever the manufacturer is minus, you know, I, I'm not going to play with a custom shank dimension. I don't, uh, I don't think it's necessary personally. Mm-hmm. I think you two know? and a half inches long by 1.2 inches, kind of their standard or, or maybe yeah. the general standard or, across yeah, the one, board. One, two, one, two fifty to, to three inches and, you know, somewhere in that range. I, it, I'm not going to, if it was a muzzle loader, yeah, I'm going to run a five inch you know, breach on it, obviously, but uh, anything I can keep short, I want to keep as short as I can. Brake or suppressor? Brake. I'm a brake guy. Okay. Um, I, I don't, I guess I don't care about my ears, but uh, I, I don't like recoil. The older I get, the less I like it. So a really good brake does better than a suppressor for you, recoil. You narrowed it, so. you narrowed it down to like 10 barrel manufacturers. Can you uh, say cut or button? Do you prefer one, one to the other? Oh, well, we know Dude, Carbon you know Six what? uses button. You know, yeah, but he named yes, like ten do. barrels. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's that? I said you named ten barrel companies. You have options: cut or button. Yeah, I have heard recently that Carbon Six should be coming out with a revolutionary yeah. new rifling process that's neither cut nor buttoned. So something to look forward to in the next few months. More. <laughs> I've heard. Yeah, that'd be crazy, right? <laughs> no, I've I've heard exactly the same thing, but. Um, I, I air gauge button. It's fine. I mean, I think it's, it's really going to fall down to your load. I'm not going to claim to be a good enough shooter to tell you that, you know, that, that, you know, half a thousandth of an inch in my group is because of this or that. I'm going to do everything that I can the best I can, but, uh, you know, air gauge button barrel is fine. How long would the barrel be? Are great. On a 300 PRC, 27, probably 26, 27 mm-hmm. inches. With Old the school. Yeah. yeah, I would say long barrels are kind of out nowadays. I think that our average barrel length on a custom build over the last year is 22 inch. Yeah. Well, everybody's suppressing the things. And if you've got, you know, a suppressor on a 28 inch barrel, I'm going to, I'm going to get the speed out of my barrel rather than uh, have a suppressor on the end of it. Mm-hmm. But the, uh, if uh, you know, if you put a suppressor on a 28 inch barrel, man, you're going to hang up in everything. And again, I'm a tall guy. I couldn't do that. I mm. couldn't hang us. You know, if I'm 36 inches from the face of my action, walking through the trees. You guys are all going to meet me on the next hill when I finally catch up. You left out the action though. We got, we got, yeah. we, got to, we got to say an action. Dude, I am a, uh, I'm a, a huge I'm a huge Terminus fan right now. I, I think for their, uh, I, I like the 60 degree bolt throw stuff. Um, and I believe that that falls down to the size of my hand. Uh, I wear a, I wear a triple X glove, you know, I, mm. I have very large hands. So when I'm cycling a bolt back and forth, I'm smashing into my scope. There's mm-hmm. just no way around it. I'm gonna hit my scope. Uh, if you got a 60 degree bolt, you're much further away from that. And, uh, by gosh, man, it's, it's nice. They lock up real quick and, 
and they go. So, uh, Curtis, Terminus, um, Tika, Tika's, yeah, the Voodoo 360s, Voodoo 360s. I have not seen those yet, dude. Pretty legit. Voodoo 22s, yeah, Voodoo 22s. Their rim fires are, they're just, they're sick. Is it pretty much a copy of the, I have a Voodoo 22. Is it pretty much a copy of that action? Yeah, they're, yeah, they're V22 action. They have the V22 and they have their, their V22S, which is their single shot that they do stuff on. And they have their, uh, their V22 360. Well, I think they just call it the 360, but it's the same thing. It's just a, a three lug system, you know, six degree bolt throw. And man, it's, it's, it's pretty phenomenal. They're pretty darn phenomenal. I've got uh, four of their rifles now, and I can't say anything bad about them at all. They're just tack drivers. I've uh, wiped out a, a lot of Arizona's fox population with their 22 Magnum. <laughs> uh, this is kind of a caveat on a question we had before, but putting a suppressor mm-hmm. on a bigger Magnum, does that change anything as far as on your guys' side? Is you know It extends that recoil process to put a little less pressure on that lug, or is that something you don't see at all? It's still going to be the same as a brake. No, I'm, I'm from a recoil standpoint, we're the impulse that takes place with recoil has, has already started. That energy transfer is almost completely done to the stock before the barrel leaves, uh, the bullet leaves the barrel. Yeah. The brake doesn't, the re the, the suppressor and the brake don't have any benefit to the recoil to the stock, just to the shooter. And I say that because it's, gases aren't going backwards that recoil isn't being pulled back forward mm-hmm. until that gas has expelled from the barrel that recoil is already gone to that impulse has already gone to the stock before any recoil aid has has taken place fair enough what is your number one hunting stock when it comes to sold numbers I would have to guess right now either the game warden or the game hunter. Okay. The when you say game warden, game warden you mean with, the 2.0? No, I do not. Okay. I mean the original game, the original game hunter or the game, I'm sorry, the original game warden or the, or the game hunter. The 2.0 is going to catch up very quickly. It's a mover. That's my favorite. And then on the swept grip side of things, uh, the McMillan Hunter and the Hunter's Edge are definitely neck and neck for the the very most sold for uh, swept grip. Do you do you style. find that the the traditional swept grip is is kind of losing popularity? No, no, actually, um, with the with the onset of long range hunting and the technology that we've let's face it, in the last ten years long range your your long range capability has extended 500 yards in the last 10 years i mean it's very quick with all the technology that we've put together uh there's a lot of people that are still very weary of taking a long shot um and i will say that it's probably the two-thirds of the east side of the united states you know the west the west coast 
and or what everybody calls out west, you know, Montana, Oregon, Colorado, Utah, Arizona, New Mexico, Wyoming. You forgot the best one. You forgot the best state. <laughs> Idaho. I did. <laughs> I've got. And, I've, I've got a, I've got a cousin who's a, a game warden up there, so I give him hell all the time. Oh, I yeah. probably know so, him. But, <laughs> <laughs> I won't, I won't throw his name out on here. Uh, he's, he's great, great guy. Great uh-huh. guy. Uh, but yeah, we all play long range. You know, right. we every one of us. You know, very few of us even have those traditional style stocks anymore, unless it's on a squirrel rifle or something. You know, no, nobody, nobody wants to play with you know, thumb holes anymore. They realize that they add torque to shots and that kills accuracy. It's just stuff has gone away. But what hasn't gone away is the majority of the population in the United States or the, the Eastern two thirds of the United States still does more stand hunting, tree stand hunting, or still hunting than we've ever even contemplated out here. So that quick to the face hand wrapped around the wrist of the stock, um, born and raised doing it that way. Those guys are still sticking with it. And, uh, I mean, look at some of those Eastern whitetails. Holy moly, man. They're, they're, they're doing all right. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So, uh, it's, it's definitely not, uh, not losing its marketplace yet. I so saw you have, uh, I got another question. If this is actually from rockslide.com going back and forth. You said 45 inch pounds yeah. for uh, your stocks. What about, what is your guys' thought process on putting Loctite on those bolts? On action screws? On action screws, sorry. Not bolts, screws. Absolutely. All right, this, this is my personal opinion. Okay. And and I'll I'll speak to it from McMillan, I guess, if I need to, but that scares the hell out of me. I don't like using Loctite on anything but scope rails, you know? Uh, and I... I bed scope rails to my actions, even with today's precision inletting. I still bed my scope rails to my actions just to make sure it's perfect. No, no, no tension on my scope rail. But if if you put any type of liquid on a thread, you have wet torque specs. Your torque specs are going to change. It's not the same as a dry torque spec. And if you need to change that torque spec, um, you get to the range and you say, well, heck, I, I need to bump this up a little bit. Or you, you feel some type of reasoning to go above 45 inch pounds. And you need to go to 55 inch pounds. Now you got to take that thing home, stick a soldering iron on it, warm it all up, pop it free. You got heat going to the stock. You got transfer. I don't like it. I don't like Loctite is, you know, it's got its places, but action screws aren't one of them. It falls right back to why would you want to glue your action in unless you're a bench rest shooter that's specifically, you know, doing a glued style, you know, lugless or recoilless, uh, recoil lug free action. I, I don't, I don't like the idea at all. Are you talking about dry, like bonding the dry, cha- the action to the chassis or, or stock they're talking about gluing it on? What's that? You're talking about Repeat gluing that? the action to the stock? Yeah, there are some yeah. bench rest shooters out there that still glue in actions. They don't use action screws. Mm-hmm. Hmm. They legitimately, they dry that thing up, clean it up, soften the bottom, you know, with a Scotch-Brite pad, make sure it's super dry and clean, marine text it in, and it stays. 
make it one with the stock. I know a guy that does that for drop testing scopes. <laughs> he glues his action to his stock. One more question, and uh, I'm, I'm done. I don't know if Jake is, but since Bob, mm-hmm. I've talked to Bob Beck quite a bit. Since he's taken over, mm-hmm. culture stayed the same? Culture changed? I think the culture, to be quite honest with you, has gotten better. Uh, there's more. Uh, Bob's great. I mean, I, I, I'm not I'm not the kind of guy to, you know, hold a pocket or a belt loop, but Bob is a really, really <laughs> great dude. You know, he really is. Uh, he means everything he says and he says it with compassion. And if he says he's going to do something, he does it. And he's just a great dude to work for. You know, he's a good guy to be around and it's, it's really neat uh, to see the culture. You know, anytime there is a change in business, there's going to be some apprehension. And there's going to be people out there that question it or why did it happen? Or, you know, wh- whatever. There's always those doubts. Um, you know, Bob came in, we all sat down and I think part of it was, you know, Bob was part of the family here a long time before the purchase, before the, 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 the changing of hands. Mm-hmm. You know, he had always been a customer. He'd always been a believer in the stocks. He's, you know, um, we sponsored, you know, the TV show prior to it, you know, so he's always been around and part of it. Uh, but the culture hasn't changed. You know, it's just a great mindset. It's moving forward uh, being more innovative. We have changed some processes that have helped us speed things up. We've really streamlined some stuff and that, that helped a ton. And by doing so, it, it, it takes the stresses off of some of the phone calls by, you know, you're not having to worry about somebody calling up going, where's my stuff? Where's my stuff? It's already there, you know? <laughs> uh, so that, that made things a lot nicer and, and it, culture's great, man. Everything about it's really, really cool. Well, that's all I had, Jake. Do you have anything else? I'm all good. I think it was awesome, Josh. And uh, I'm sure that the, the listeners are going to get a lot of educational information from this. So it was great. Thank you. And I really appreciate the opportunity to come on and talk about it. And hope I didn't fumble too much stuff around for oh, you guys. You're good to go. And uh, tell people how they can find your website, how to order a stock. What is what is the best way for them to order a McMillan stock? Uh, you can do it three ways. You can go online and fill out the order form and email it in to stocks at McMillanUSA.com. You can... Go with a dealer, get out there, talk to the dealers and uh, go through the dealers and have your dealer or your builder order a stock for you. Or you can just simply give us a call and uh, we can do it over the phone for you. We can help walk you through step by step. Um, Some stock orders uh, with people that aren't armed with all of the information. Some stock orders may take three or four phone calls. Some might be right on time, ready to rock and roll with all their information. It's a five-minute call, and hey, talk to you later. But we're always here to help, no matter what avenue you take. Um, we get, you know, probably forty or fifty emails a day with questions. Uh, we really appreciate those because it, it helps down the road. It helps, you know, speed things up quite a bit. And if you have a question, if you're on our website, which is McMillanUSA.com and you can't find something you're looking for, we always answer the phones, man. Give us a jingle. We'll get it. We'll get you talked through and uh, 
just give us the opportunity. We'll make a fan out of you. All right, Josh, thanks for uh, coming on. And if you want to, if you have a question for me or Jake, get a hold of us at podcast at shoot to hunt.com or send us a DM at shoot to hunt on Instagram. Thanks for listening.